have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roller with us today, Adam Rank. How are you doing, Rank? You look great in person, and I uh, just can't wait to next year where we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guy's day. It was being ranked. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. This is episode 74. Yes, Tara, I remembered again. 74, that's two shows in a row. I got the episode correct. And joining us tonight, we have Jets wide receiver. Number 17 in the programs, but number one in all our hearts. Vincent Smith. Vince, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Doing great. Happy to be here. Uh, glad to have you here. So last time uh, you and I were together on a show, it was actually the Scott, the Scott Fishbowl, the potathon there. I think I had talked you into joining us. I think it was like midnight Eastern that you kind of graced our presence. It was pretty late. It was 10 o'clock my time, but it was, it was pretty late for you there. So we're glad for you to join. We talked a little bit about fantasy football, talk a lot about uh, what it takes to get there. Normally on this show, we talk a little bit of football and then we get into fantasy. But I think today we're kind of going to the opposite here. We'll talk a little fantasy and then get into the whole dynamic of your journey. Um, on that potathon, we kind of mentioned you being in a fantasy football league. I think you had mentioned back then that you dabbled in one league. You kind of tried it, but weren't really into it. Has that changed? Do you no, play fantasy a little bit more? No? No, not at all. All business. Yes, sir. So it's going to be fun. Do you know, are any of your Jets teammates, are they into fantasy football? Is it like big in the locker room or is it kind of a, a niche, so to speak? I think it's more of a niche thing. You hear a couple guys will say, yeah, I, I want my fantasy game here. I want my fantasy game there. But I think uh, especially with a lot of the starters, everybody doesn't like to really look at a lot, uh, a lot of that stuff. Uh, Jordan kind of chimes in here. He goes, I remember that catch against Philly when you were in Houston. You remember that catch? Yeah, there's no way I can forget it. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually, I think I remember. I even tweeted during that game, uh, tweeted it to you. You're still on the field, so there's no way you saw the tweet at the time. But I'm like, I hit that up right away. Uh, people that don't know, uh, I got kind of in touch with Vincent right around the time he absolutely destroyed the South Carolina Pro Day coming out of Limestone College, which we'll kind of touch on a little bit later. But for those who don't know, I think you ran something like a 438. Uh, you put up like a 39 and a half inch uh, vertical in there with a 10, 10, 10, 11 broad jump. Uh, I think your burst score was absolutely in the 92 percentile there with like a 132.2. Relative athletic score was something like a, a 9.68 out of 10. Like these were absolutely phenomenal numbers that you put up. You absolutely showed up at South Carolina's Pro Day and put your name on the map. Yeah, that's all. I didn't even know I did that well. I know I did pretty well. I think uh, I think after I ran my 40 and it was good and I, I, I heard back from my agent, and I kind of like blanked out after that because it was, it was just like a big weight off my shoulders. So kind of talk about it because you, you went to Limestone College there, but obviously, Terry, you're familiar with that program there as well. Fairly new program as far as football goes there. And – didn't really have a pro day, so you had to go to South Carolina. How did that work out? 
the lot you go to South Carolina's pro day? Is that something your agent kind of arranged or is that something you just kind of showed up with a pair of cleats and said, Hey, I'm here to run. Um, actually one of my coaches arranged it. He, uh, was a former coach with, uh, Steve Spurrier. So I had some connects in South Carolina and they allowed me to get in. And, um, even, you know, my, my former head coach, Mike Furry, you know, he helped along with the process too and get me with the right agents. Do you, do you remember some of the names that you were at that South Carolina Pro Day at the wide receiver position? The wide receiver position? I don't think they had anybody. I remember they had Hayden Hurst, a tight end. But wide receiver, I don't remember anybody else. Nice, nice. Hayden so, Hurst, we, we picked him on that. I'm getting a little echo here on my end. Yeah, so with you putting up those crazy numbers, like how did you get passed up by all the D1 schools with all the – the, the power five and all that stuff. How'd you get skipped? Like, I don't get it. Like, you running with four three four two. What was you running? Uh, at that time, I ran a four three six. Um, That's crazy. I think it's a little bit – I like to say I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. I don't think I got really fast to, like, my sophomore year in college. But then again, I was ranked the sixth receiver in the state of South Carolina my senior year. So, I think it just kind of contributes to – especially in the Midlands of South Carolina, just needs better recruiting from bigger colleges. And what was that change? What was that change? Um, did you do anything differently that made you get to that point where you were working out more and putting up these like crazy numbers at the combine? Um, for me, I know going from a D two school to the professional train I had right after it was like my body was in the best position. It was the best feeling I ever had. I gained almost 10 pounds from when I left college in November to that pro day and what I think late March or April. And my body was just unbelievable. It was like I, I had tapped into a new me, which I, I, I didn't even know I had my whole college career. So that, I think that helped a lot. What was the preparation like for that pro day? Did you, did you have it in your mind that you were going to try and go for the NFL? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think from the point, like, from high school, it's always been in the back of my mind, like, NFL would be, like, route A for me if I can do it. Coming from a D2 school, it's like, I know it's a hard route, but I always have, like, in my mind, this is how I'll make it. And then things lined up with me getting my new head coach. And junior year, he had us, like, a, a junior day. They came and tested us, liked it, and then that kind of set us up to have a lot of scouts come watch us my whole senior year. So from that point, I was like, wow, you really have it opportunity to make it to the league so you gotta take it serious and i don't see any reason why i shouldn't take it serious so i took it serious my whole from that point on the summer before my senior year we uh out of d2 you know we don't really have summer programs so we had to work a night job work the night job to pay to stay at the school to work out at the day during the daytime did that june and july part of august came in had a good season my senior year and then after that you know sent me with the right agents and then I trained at Velocity in Charlotte and they, they, they did a really good job with me and, and just propelled me. Uh, kind of touching with what Tara just mentioned there. I got to figure out what my echo is. Um, when did you kind of go, you know what, I'm going to make the league. I know as a kid, you always dream of playing the NFL. You get to high school, you kind of dominate the high school there, Westwood. Then you kind of get on to Limestone College, D2, a little bit of an uphill battle. When did you actually clue in that, you know what, I'm going to play in the NFL. Not that I could play in, but I'm going to. When did that kind of transition from I could to I am? Uh, I think it's a little bit of – so coming out of high school, not making a D1, you're like, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I, I thought I am. 
I'm gonna work hard. And then I get to college and I think at the time when I came in, we had 32 receivers in our room wow. coming in. And, uh, you know, they, they, I remember one day they were like, who y'all think is gonna make the, the roster for this year? And nobody had me sl slated to be on a roster at all. So I think that kind of like filled me. And before I knew it, I was starting game four on through that season. And after my sophomore year starting the whole season, I was like, okay, I I, I think I, I have a chance to do something good. And I don't think I got too far ahead of myself with thinking about the NFL. At that time, it's like I want to dominate D2 and then try to transfer to D1 and compete on that level. And I didn't get the opportunity because of some complications, but I was able to continue my career at D2. And then, like I said, after my junior year, testing out uh, with the junior day, with the, I think at the time it was the Seahawks scouts and hearing some good report back. It's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I really have a chance to play in the league and I'm going to take it seriously. Uh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to dive into this story a little bit more and hear more of this backstory. Uh, now we're kind of moving into the actual program a little bit more. And if you were a closer in major league baseball or even a WWE superstar coming out to the ring, what's that intro music going to be for Vincent Smith? What, what are we going to play to get the, the crowd pumped up? You know, that's a that's a tough one for me. I don't I, I would have to think about that one. You know what? I, I totally respect that because if we were talking about this off the air the other day, if we asked some of these questions to ourselves, how quickly would we be able to answer them? And I'm like, I don't know where I'd go with this music because I'm a little bit out there, a little bit different. I don't know if I'd go with a little bit of country, I don't know if I'd go with rock, I don't know what I would do. I kind of let the music kind of feel me and kind of go from there. So <laughs> well, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Kendrick Lamar's uh, "Good Kid, Mad City." Like that intro, that little part, and then that beat hit. Oh man, that's on right like now. That. You know what I mean? That's a good choice. That's a good choice. <laughs> I think me um, lately. I don't know. I feel like um, it's a song "Met Gala" by Gunna. The way it just rolls in, I feel like it just gets me started. I'm a good mood person, so I feel like it just gets me rolling and. I can I can build a lot of energy off that song. Nice. Do you use music to hype yourself up pregame at all? Uh, I use it to kind of keep me from being too hyped. I think I have a lot of energy. Yes. So <laughs> yes. Same thing. So music keeps me like level, yeah. and then when I hit the field, I let it go. I love that because I remember, and I I'm nowhere near the athlete that you are, so let's not kid ourselves too much. But even growing up there, everyone had like the heavy metal gold pounding these energy drinks, hitting their head against the locker. And here I am listening to some like Christian contemporary music, sipping on some coffee, just trying to go in because I would get overhyped. It wouldn't take me like if I play some hype music, I'm probably going to come in, almost burn my energy off before I even hit the field. So I love that whole bringing it down so you don't get overamped. Yeah, actually that was me my, my rookie year. I, would, I went into like – pre-game warm-ups and would burn myself out. I'm full sweat, full go, full tilt. And I, I think it was, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was the coach was like, hey, you got you to gotta <laughs> tone it down in, in pre-game and, and save it for the game. That, that's where the vets step in. They're like, hey, kid, no, no, bring it down a little <laughs> bit. Let's bring it down. Yeah, so we all know you play football and everything. You're a great football player. But as a kid, did you play any other sports? Uh, yes, yeah, so I ran track. Um, I wanted to play basketball. My mom never let me for some odd reason. I don't know why. I think I had a C. I, I wanted to play in the seventh grade. I think I had like a low C in math. And she's like, no, you're not playing. Yeah, she let me play football, though. That's your fault. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, what was your favorite team growing up? And who's your like, favorite players and teams? Um, Growing up, my first favorite player was Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson. Nice, nice. Easy. You know, the 8-5. That was my first jersey. And then immediately after, my favorite player was uh, Adrian Peterson. I just instantly became a Vikings um, fan. After that, I, I, I was a Vikings fan growing up. What positions did you play as a kid? As a kid, I played safety, corner, receiver, I think tight end one time, defensive end one time. Um, and I think I think that's about it. I love it. That's how you can tell the true athletes when they were growing up. They always played both sides of the ball, played both ways, could play any position. I, I love that. That's the, that's the best part. I and mean, that's kind of like what I like about the league. Playing special teams gives me a chance to still play other positions and get out there and hit somebody. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the more underrated parts of your game is that special teams, that kick return ability that you bring in. That's kind of what separates you. We talk about that undrafted free agent. If you're coming in as an undrafted free agent, you kind of have to be able to do a few different things to kind of get the coach's attention. We've seen the whole uh, TD story there where he came down. I think it was in Japan. They had an exhibition game in Japan. He came flying down, made a huge tackle. Coaches took notice, and next thing you know, he's in that running back room with the Broncos, right? You have to make that impact on specials, especially – when you're facing a bit of an uphill battle. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that's one of the things that got me on the team in Houston. I think it was uh last preseason game. And up to that point, I had scored a couple of touchdowns, made a couple of plays as a receiver. But I think what got me there and what got me on the roster was, well, for one, I was late. It was a punt, and I'm a gunner. And they were calling team out. I was a tad bit late, so I'm running out of the field a little bit late, which is a horrible thing to do as a rookie in preseason. <laughs> And I ran down the field, made a tackle on the sideline, and got back up. And I think that's, that's really what made, what got me on the team. Well, the coaches were going to notice you one way or the other. When the film comes out the next day, you coming out on the field late, they're going to notice that. So it's a good thing you made that tackle. So it kind of <laughs> made up for that. You, you talk about that basketball desire, your basketball fan, I'm assuming there. Yes. What's your what's that basketball team for you right now? Is that the Knicks? Are you drawn to the Knicks right now, being in New York or uh, the Nets? Maybe even is that even uh, answer answer wisely? You know, I, <laughs> I should be quiet on this, but um, preferably I, I think that the Nets are a little bit easier to watch. But the Knicks did a really good job this year, ended up with the fourth seed. So it, it's great to see New York overall. Both both teams playing well, but personally, I'm a big LeBron fan. So Lakers, Lakers. Yep, the game's on tonight, matter of fact. You know what? I, I can't even blame that. I'm not a big basketball guy. I love March Madness. I love the college game probably more than the professional game. I kind of stepped away from watching professional basketball for a little while, and I turned in not too long ago, and I saw the Knicks wearing some sort of look like a practice jersey that was black. I seen the Phoenix <laughs> Suns wearing this weird thing. What's with all these different new jerseys, and does anyone actually think these look good, or am I like – Am I way out to lunch here? I think you're you're showing your age a little bit, Matt. And by the way, happy birthday, Matt. Yay! Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I watch I see some of these new jerseys. I'm like, I'm either getting really old or these are starting to look really bad. I'm not too sure which one it is. I think you're just getting old, man. Go ahead. <laughs> you just gotta get used to it. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting used to, um, you had to make a bit of a change. When did you come uh, stateside again? You were born in Germany. Your, your dad was in the Army. When did you make that transition from Germany to the States? Were you 
Honestly, um, I don't remember anything about Germany. We came over when I was like one and a half, two years old, went straight to uh, Watertown, New York, which is basically like past Niagara Falls, way deep, almost in Canada. We're up there for a couple of years and then moved down south. So kind of touch base. I know being in an army, a military family, shapes the man you've become today. Kind of talk about some of those lessons you learned uh, being in a military family and how you apply those even today. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is kind of like just discipline from, from day one and going to school on a military base is much different from going to school to going to a public school. I, I remember um, uh, my dad retired from the military when I was 13 and, you know, going from, you know, schools, you know, being used to schools on a military base where kids are mostly disciplined, no big troublemakers, you know, it doesn't really fly. And you go to a public school and you're like, wow, this is like a circus. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know how people are focused up. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I love public school because it's you know it's it's just it was just like a transition. Like you wouldn't notice unless you went to a military or not even a military school, but a school on a military base, and then just a regular public school. So, kind of going over to uh, your uh, time in Blythewood, tell us about growing up in Blythewood and then that transition to uh, Limestone. Um, Blythewood is cool. It's um you know we call it the woods. So, you know, it's mandatory to have camo out there, but it's a beautiful area. The school district's great, in my opinion, um, kind of like right north of Columbia. And it's a, it's a growing area. It's, you know, life is relaxed. People are sweet. You know, people are nice. They wave at you when you drive by. And it's, it's a really calm lifestyle out there. And then making the transition from Blackfoot to Limestone and Gaffney, where it's really country, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> not much out there, but the people are just as sweet, you know, as a tight knit town and it's a big football town. You know, I think what you're touching on too kind of gets back to what we were saying about um, the recruiting uh, bigger colleges do within South Carolina. I think a lot of people forget that South Carolina is, you know, a relatively small state. Yeah. And so, you know, diving into all of those um, smaller areas, smaller town, um, being able to get that exposure, it's still a little tough in South Carolina, huh? Yeah, it definitely is. I think, um, you know, just playing football in South Carolina, I think we have just as good athletes as any other state. It's just a small state. And like I said, I think we need far better recruiting, which is it has gotten better. I mean, a lot of the guys that I've played with and even some of the biggest stars in the league are from the state of South Carolina. So I think I think we have some phenomenal athletes. And just kind of touch on you mentioned that the whole growing up in Blythewood, right? It's Blythewood. It's yes, not. Sir. See, every time I look, I'm like, "Bly the Wood." I'm I'm horrible <laughs> with names, so we have this little fun thing that uh, one of our other guys that kind of joins us. He's from Massachusetts, so he makes me say state uh, cities in Massachusetts. It never turns out well with my Canadian accent and everything that kind of goes in it. So I butcher names left, right, and center. So bear with me. Uh, Blythewood is a little bit of a smaller community, I guess. Limestone College was is a bit of a smaller school as well. Was that transition pretty easy going from a small town to a small school or because we're going to talk about that transition from limestone to Houston here in a little bit. Oh uh, yeah. Going from, honestly, my, my high school had more students than my college did. So going to limestone was a little underwhelming at first, you know, arriving there. It's like, well, it's not, it's not a lot. It's, it's a pretty school. It's, it's very tight knit. Uh, it has a lot of history to it. 
I was a little underwhelmed, but the time there was great, especially my last two years. But yeah, going from my hometown, Blythewood to, to Gaffney was no problem at all. And then somewhere along this journey, we kind of touched on this earlier here, but I'm going to ask the question kind of again. At some point, you kind of decided that this the NFL is a le legitimate dream. Did, did that set in, like, when you got that phone call as an undrafted free agent, when Houston picks up the phone and they're giving you a shout, hey, we want you to come into our rookie camp, uh, is that kind of when it really set in that, you know what, this is actually happening? Or was it, you know, right after that pro day where you absolutely killed, you got that good feedback you were talking about? Or is it something that even today, because of being an undrafted free agent, you're always kind of needing to prove yourself a little extra to keep yourself where you're at? Um, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think definitely after my pro day, having a good a good pro day, getting my my undrafted, unofficial uh, visits from the Jets and Houston. That those are times I was like, wow, you know, they they really taking a look at me, bringing me in, having me talk to the receiver coaches and meeting the head coaches and getting to know people and kind of hearing, you know, the plan that they have for me if I decide or if they decide to draft me or if I, I become undrafted and have to decide on a place to go. So that, that to me, is like, okay, it's getting real. And then even, um, you know, just talking to coaches and, and scouts and just hearing what they would have to say and even, you know, getting hyped up and hearing them say, oh, after fourth round, after fifth round, you know, it's like, okay, it's getting real. How so, long uh, How long after the draft? Uh, did it take for them to to get that phone call? Um, it, it was actually, I think, and I think after Houston's picks were done, it was still in, in the seventh round. Calling me, hey, we're, we're gonna want you after the draft. And then my agents, actually, you know, you go during the draft, it's very cool and relaxed because it's like, okay, you just waiting for someone to call you. You know, you just waiting. And then after, you're like, okay, you're gonna go undrafted. And then now it's it gets nerve wracking because now I have to make the decision. Now the, the decisions on me whether. Basically, whether I, I, you know, I pick right or wrong, and I think at the time I maybe had 13 teams total that uh, wanted an opportunity with me, and you know, listen to my agent like, hey, got to make a decision fast. You got calls coming in; they're gonna put the offer out there, and if you don't choose fast, they're gonna take it away. So it's like, wow, you know, I got to make this decision, make the right decision fast. And it was particularly tough for me because my college head coach became the Bears wide receiver coach. And they were wanting to offer, so it was tight between the Bears and Houston. But I felt a little bit more comfortable with Houston because the GM had a bigger plan for me. I know ultimately the GM makes the uh, roster decisions. So kind of touch me because you went from, like I said, uh, Limestone College, probably not a whole lot of recruiting. And then all of a sudden everyone wants to get drafted. But once you become that undrafted free agent, it's like open recruiting season. So you're getting that recruiting that maybe you didn't have in college like you kind of touched on like, what kind of whirlwind is that? You said you had to make a decision quickly, but now all of a sudden you go from limestone, which not a whole lot of people recruited you to now you said 13 NFL teams, not division one teams. We're not talking division one here. We're talking NFL teams are calling you to come play for them or come to their camp. Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I, I burst into a little instant sweat trying to make a decision <laughs> um and even even having to tell my, my my head my old head coach like hey i'm sorry i'm not coming to chicago i'm going to houston you know that was that was hard for me too but um you know at that at the time i'm just thinking like well i got me an opportunity just to even make a team like this that's big you know I feel like at that time i felt like okay i'm already getting further than what i was supposed to 
Yeah, I, I remember looking at that Houston wide receiver room, and that did present a good opportunity for you to make that 53-man roster, which you did coming out of camp right after the preseason games. You were on that 53-man roster, which, again, as an undrafted free agent, is impressive to say because usually undrafted free agents are looking more towards practice squad and this and that. And then here you are on that 53 right from day one. Yeah, to me, I was I was in, uh, honestly surprised too. I remember just thinking uh, cut day, you know, you're sitting in a locker room waiting for someone to hopefully not pull you out. But I remember cut day, you know, started like 9 a.m. and in until 12, just sitting and waiting and the hours passing by and this. 10 minutes before, you know, the time closes, the period closes. And I remember rem- remember them saying they can keep six receivers, seven receivers left. And then he walks in, pulls out the other receiver. I'm just like, wow, I, is it, did I make it? <laughs> this is it. And, you know, they, they, they remind you like, hey, you know, it's a whole 24-hour period before everything is official. So for the next – to the next day, I'm just sitting there waiting. You know, you don't want to hear a call. Just sitting by the phone waiting, and after like the two or three passed by, I was I was happy, excited. I think my dad called me first, but I was I was honestly expecting like practice squad. I was like, okay, I for sure make practice squad. Like that's what I'm being and making three man roster. Honestly, I'm not gonna say surprised me, but I was I was ahead of my expectations. Well, even okay. even making that sorry, Tara, even making that fifty-three man roster, you've still got to sweat it out for a little bit because there's players cut all around the league. You're going from eighty-five to fifty-three. Maybe a team like Houston needs a little bit more depth at offensive guard, so you could still the numbers games are still kind of playing there, and you're sitting there kind of like, okay, I made the cut. I'm on the fifty-three, but do I stay on that fifty-three? What's going to happen yeah. because it's I can't even imagine the uh, the emotions that are going through any player's mind at this point. Yeah, it's um, you know, you, I'm thankful at the point. I'm thankful, I'm like, okay, I made it on, and then you know, you just they they did a good job taking care of me my my rookie year and, and get me acclimated in the league. So it's it's a it's a I would do it again. I totally would. So we've talked a lot about these uh, unique situations that unique situations and experiences you've been in. Um, but can you touch on, you know, being that guy from Limestone? I think you're the um, the sole representative in the NFL for Limestone. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. So, you know, what's that like holding that, holding that um, you know, that candle for Limestone as a college? I know it's a newer program, but it's still, you know, something very important to them, I'm sure. Uh, it is honestly a, a dream that's, that happened, you know, coming into the new program. Even my high school was new. I'm like, I would love to be the first NFL player. Uh, represent and you know to kind of put the school on a bigger platform is is awesome and you know you're trying to represent them the best you can but to me it's just it's it's it's, it's fun and I enjoy doing it I, I take it seriously yeah talk about a little bit your you know you got called by Houston um you're in the wide receiver room with DeAndre Hopkins did you have an opportunity to learn anything from him uh yes, I think I learned more about off the field stuff and and life from him than anything. But he's a, uh, I mean he's and it, I, I say it's hard to learn from him because he's such a natural talent. Like he just wakes up and he's good. He just wakes up and he's good. A lot of the a lot of the second half of the season, I was taking all his practice reps because he was just rehabbing and getting ready for games. And I think Ob gave him a big compliment by saying he's never had a player that didn't have to practice and performed at the level he performed. So just watching him was like, you know, seeing him do something special is like, okay, I'm, 
you know anything's possible. Right. Um, was it so good? Little, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Was it, next question. Sorry, I just wanted to touch on DeAndre Hopkins too. Um, was it good having someone from hometown too? Because he's kind of got that similar experience to you in terms of um, being from South Carolina. He went to you know Daniel, which I think is like a three A program, maybe twenty three A. But um, how was it like being someone that had that you know kind of same childhood experience? Uh, it was awesome. You know, he he understands exactly where I come from in the state of South Carolina. And even, not only him, but I think I came in on that team with 12 other guys from South Carolina. Um, you know, Jadavion, uh Well, Deshaun's not from South Carolina, but he played there. Uh, a couple of D linemen from Clemson. Um, even uh, Bruce Ellington was there. So, so I played with all these big name guys that I just watched for the past four years in college was, was real big. And I think the coolest thing for me. Awesome. And then just kind of touching base here, I know Major was talking about some of the challenges you faced. What are some of the challenges you faced when you first came in the league? And what are some of those challenges you're still facing even right now? Because you're always having to hone that craft. You're always having to kind of fend off the next crew of young guys in. You're always trying to better yourself. So what are some of the challenges you faced when you first came in? And now that you're a veteran of four going into your fourth season, what are some of the challenges you face? Uh, coming in, I think the biggest challenge I faced was it's like kind of get that feeling like nobody believes you really know anything about football coming from a D2 school. None of the players really ever heard your name before. They never really seen you play before. I don't know what your highlights look like. They don't know what you can do beyond what they've seen in camp. So coming in, it's like nobody really like takes you seriously as you want to be taken. And, and, you know, you just have to grind it out, make your plays. You know, the opportunities are slim, so you got to make the most out of your opportunity. And even today, you know, still fighting for the opportunity to play in a league, you know, not being a big name player, you know, I think it, it helps when you don't make a lot of money because, you know, you're, you're cheaper. They, they can use you. But, <laughs> but knowing that, you know, my I, I have to grind and, and and definitely take my job seriously and show that every day I'm out there. So well, can you tell I, us about that? Oh, God. I was just going to kind of touch base here a little bit more because – Iron, I'm a firm believer in iron sharpens iron. And last year, you guys had a, you had an okay wide receiver room. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Perryman was there. You had Crowder, yourself. Denzel Mims was coming in as a rookie. And then it kind of went – the depth was not as strong as what you're seeing this year. You know, Elijah Moore – kids. Elijah Moore comes in. <laughs> There's a lot more depth in that wide receiver room. Corey Davis is coming over. So you guys are looking like you're five wide receivers strong across the board. And then there's still that depth in behind. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. I think this is personally, I think this is the deepest receiver room I've been in. I mean, like I said, in Houston, I was behind DeAndre. It was kind of top heavy DeAndre, Will Fuller. And then they brought in Demarius Thomas and, uh, you know, the rest of us kind of built in. But this this room, a lot of us have a lot of experience. You know, like you said, um, CD, Corey, me, Denzel has experience from last year, Crowder, um, Braxton. Keelan Cole, all of us have good playing experience, and I think we're either way you go, we're going to be a really good receiving core. I think that's the most important thing because at the end of the season last year, Denzel was hurt, you were injured as well. That room went really showed how little depth it had in the long term, and once those injuries started to pile up, and now you guys, I think it's after this draft. You got a good young core of receivers to build around with a good young quarterback and a, a another good running back. Like your offense is good and young, and it looks like it's, they're developing good. That offensive line, uh, Beckton last year, uh, Tucker this year, 
the Jets are definitely building themselves as a good young core moving forward. Yeah, uh, and you know the, the coaching staff does a great job of getting us in the system and and having us perform. I, I think that's the biggest difference between last year and this year is just the system is is so stout. So tell us, you know, let's dive into a day in the life of Vincent Smith. What does that look like for you right now? You know, training, film, practice. Uh, for me, um, I, I like I like to say I like to be balanced. You know, I don't, I can't do nothing forever in a day or for too long. So with me, I like to, you know, I wake up easy in the morning, 7 a.m., get in, you know, I'll start with breakfast. And then after that, we hop into meetings. Currently, our meetings aren't too long. We probably spend about two and a half, three hours of meetings total. Special teams, offense, you know, split up from defense. And after that, we're on a practice field. And after that, just trying to focus on taking care of my body prepare for next season and then you know after that get home review practice look a little bit at what we got for the next day and after that kind of just relax and get my mind off of football and and try to go to sleep early as i can which is hard sometimes <laughs> what kind of vibe does robert sala bring to this team because he, he's a presence right he, he's you you can't help but want to run through a wall for this guy like he, he's bringing that to the new york jets this year and what's that What's that feeling? I'm not going to compare it to last year, but what's that feel like this year for you? Oh, it's just high energy. I mean, he he's given us already two good speeches, you know, just in meetings, and you, you're ready to run through a wall, like you said, for him. There's the speeches he gives, the vision he has, and I think, honestly, I think after he's done talking, everybody's, like, locked in, and we're all, like, have the same mindset and, and ready to fight for each other. Yeah. Uh... So here's here's a question like outside of football. If you was if you were not playing in NFL, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a um okay. Uh I, I also think about even after my career what, what I'll do next. But um That's a good one, yeah. I uh right now I think if I didn't initially make it to the NFL, I probably would have been in the military. If not that, then I think law enforcement or if not that, coaching. But uh Right now, I love uh, working on my race cars, working on cars, doing that on a on a side. So I love doing that. But if not, I'd either say military or something with law enforcement. So let's go go to your post post NFL career. What are you gonna do? Uh, either the same thing, you know. I think um, start a company here to deal with cars, maybe a little bit with trucking with my brother. He's uh he he got a CDL. My dad does, so I feel like that's an easy business for our family to continue in. But um that. A little bit dabbling a little bit of race cars but yeah i think like a career wise I'm, I'm starting to think coaching more you know i went back home talked to some old coaches there and you know they they kind of encouraged me more to think about getting coaching so i like coaching but definitely law enforcement that's dope what's that feeling like when you go back to south carolina in the off season maybe even run one of these camps for the kids and stuff like give back to the community what, what's that feeling like when the kids are looking up to you it's it's um it's it's humbling, you know, just to know that I was in the same position as them, and I I you know I, I made it to where I was trying to get, and I can show them that they can do it too. It's it's possible. It's it's not an abstract idea. All they have to do is put their mind to it, focus up, and stay in the right path. So, kind of going back to that journey for you. Um, from Westwood or um, from Westwood to Limestone to Houston and then now to the Jets, you know, along this journey, what uh, what have you learned about yourself personally? 
Uh, I learned that I'm easy to adapt. Uh, I'm not much of a, I don't get homesick a lot, but I do like being home every once in a while. It's easy for me to adapt and I just like taking on new challenges. Um, kind of, you know, I realizing like what, what gets me motivated, what, what keeps me level and, and like being in these bigger cities, realizing like kind of like opening up my, my food palette, you know, eating a little bit more than what I used to eat when I was at home or talking to more people, networking more. So I'm kind of like realizing how much I can maximize myself. Okay. So I want to touch on this because I don't, uh, Tara's from the Houston area, Major's from LA, you're in New York, originally from uh, Blythewood and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm from a town of 300 people originally, no stop sign, no traffic lights. I moved to the big city of 64,000 people. How do you guys handle New York? How, how do you handle New York? I could not even get like around the block without losing my mind because of how many people are there. Uh, luckily, our facility is 40 minutes outside of New York. So when I got when I got in New York, I got here on a Saturday or a Sunday, and it was a bye week for them. So I spent all day just studying plays, getting ready for the game. So I don't think I went into the city till two or three weeks later. So I, I think I got focused up. It's good, and I went out into the city first time, and it's it's fast paced. It's chaotic. First time you go out there, people walking everywhere, cars honking, um, you know, just trying to get used to the pace of life. But going to Houston kind of helped me. But if I went straight from South Carolina to New York, I, I, I would have been in a whirlwind. Are you used to it now? Are you are you adapted to the New York lifestyle? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. You know, I, I, I love the people up here. They're, they're hard workers. And it's definitely I believe the saying, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere because they, yes, they, they really do it up here. Is there an um, added amount of pressure playing for a New York team? I know from a media perspective, it's pretty high that, um, you know, some people have spoken about how different it is playing for a New York team. Yeah, you definitely have eyes on you at all times. Um, I know whether I have a good game or bad game, like my cousin, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I looked you up on Twitter and all the people love you. Or let's say I had a bad game. She's like, I did it. And she wants to fight everybody. I just, I'm like, <laughs> you can't really do that. You can't, you can't look at social media. But um it's the spotlight is big out here and you know it's it's enjoyable especially when you're doing well and if you're doing bad you know you kind of just quiet you know trying to just focus on doing better but you know you we're never short on stories i'll tell you that awesome yeah so we all know relationships are important in any field that you're in uh, talk about some of the people that helped you along your journey like um, coaches a teacher like a strength coach whoever uh, I'll definitely start from – I'll go in reverse. Uh, definitely in the league, I think, as a player who's helped me out the most is Demarius Thomas coming over to Houston my uh, rookie year. You know, he's one of the guys I had as a background on my phone in college, you know, just looking up to him. And he he taught me a lot. He's one of the reasons I came over to New York that, that just brought me over. So I owe him a lot. And then beyond that, um, Coach Furry, head coach, you know, he set us up right in college, um, propelled me into the NFL kept my mind straight. Um, he's, he was everything I needed and more, you know, he kind of treated me like a son, brought me to his family. And I, I appreciate that. Of course, my mom and my dad, they've always been there. Always been good support. My dad, my dad's a firm believer. Like he, whatever he tells me, I'm like, uh, I think you're kind of dreaming a little bit, but he's, he's right more often than not. 
And, you know, uh, I have Miss Wilbur. She always helps me out. My uh, coach, JJ, he's been training me since my junior year of high school and still trains with me today. Uh, he, he's more of a friend than anything to me now, more of a family member than anything to me now. Um, and, there's, and those are just some of the people that have contributed the most in my life. Great coach, JJ, what's his last name? Uh, Johnson. Okay. I think it's somebody else. All right. So I love that. I love the fact that you keep that family nice and close. And that family kind of extends, like you said, Coach JJ's family. You work with them all well. Um, one of the things, part, this is kind of a two-part question here, but the first part is, what is one decision, one decision that you made in your life that kind of tra- changed that trajectory to where you got to today? Like, what's that one decision that you're so grateful that you made? Because, you know, a lot of kids growing up, they make one decision that takes them down one path and another decision takes them down another path. What's that one decision that you're grateful for? Um, uh, when I was actually out of school due to my old head coach, I just couldn't pay for school. He wasn't giving me enough scholarship. I couldn't pay for school. I was out of school and I was trying to get back into school and it was an option between either limestone being mad at the whole school of limestone or and going to another school or taking an opportunity to go back to limestone and the new coaches brought me in. They were excited to get me back in the program. And I think that decision was big, but even with the new coaches, um, at the time, my wide receiver coach, coach Roundtree played at uh, Michigan. He was our wide receiver coach. And, you know, he was just telling us about his experience in the league and, and like the mindset people play with and how they just decide to dominate the game and don't let the game happen to them. I think that's one of the things that, that kind of changed my mindset. Yeah. I love that because he's mentioned being D2 and stuff like that. If you're going to make it, you kind of have to absolutely ball out. If you're going to be that big fish in a small pond kind of mentality, you have to perform extremely well to catch people's attention. And I do think that going back to limestone turned out to be a fantastic decision in your life. Um, Right now, you guys just kind of wrapped up rookie camp there in New York. You got an opportunity. Have you had an opportunity to meet some of these other guys so far that they brought in this this rookie group, the Michael Carter, Elijah Moore, that's going to be in your receiver room? And what do you think about that? What kind of advice have you kind of given them already? Oh, yeah, definitely. uh, We've had a chance to get on the field with them, and they're they're cool guys. They're locked in. There's some great playmakers. Uh, Elijah, I told them I'm going to call him eight ball. So, and, you know, just, you know, just, like pouring out small information, you know, whenever they're confused or they don't know what's next or, or how can they handle this. And he, they're, they're handling it very well, you know, from from COVID season and everything. I, I think they're handling it very well. It's locked in and I think they're all ready to work. I think um, think that I think they're ready to take over the team already. So, you know, we try to keep them down and remind them that they're rookies, but they're doing a great <laughs> job. I love that you mentioned the COVID because – when you were like last year, we when we talked about the Scott Fishbowl when you came on that potathon, it was a COVID thing. You were trying to get into a, a new system there. You were just it, it was very difficult to get into the game book and get in the plan and get that timing down with the, the quarterback and the other receivers and stuff. This year you kind of have a it looks like a full rookie camp. There's gonna be full OTAs coming in. What's the difference, I guess, last year compared to this year as far as your preparation goes? Uh, I mean, just the fact that we can come in for OTAs and work with the quarterback and get into live meetings with the coaches and everybody being on the field together and actually creating that team atmosphere and, and you know, talking, you know, to the coaches live and feeling that energy. I mean, even before we got in the building, you could feel the energy from Coach Sala but being in there and, and working with other guys. You know, a lot of us that were here last year, we know 
exactly what happened and how much time being away from the game hurt us. So we're, we're all excited to be here. And I think that's why 80 plus players have showed up and I think we're, we're going to have a positive year overall. As a, as a division two player, do you know all the other division two players uh, in the NFL? Do you uh, I, hang out? <laughs> I know I know a good bit, and it's, it's funny you say that because Keelan Cole, he we played each other twice in college, and he came out the year before me, so he was in Jacksonville, and I went to Houston. You know, we played him twice a year, so every time it was like, wow, year. He was literally the only guy that I knew in the league my rookie year that I could dap up after the game and actually have real rapport with. Other than that, I just look on the field and see everybody dapping up and that they played each other in college, and they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> See some super <laughs> say what's up and go back to the locker room. But he's, you know, after the Jaguars game, I'll go looking for him. And my rookie, he's the only guy I knew. But uh, he's one guy. And then the Patriots have um, Duggar, um, safety, that I've college a couple of times. Yeah, well, I'm a deep Division two guy myself. I played a little Division two ball, so I'm rooting for you. And all Thank the you. other Division two guys, um, go ahead, Tara. So, yeah, kind of on that same topic, um, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but that path that you've taken um, coming from a smaller school, being a undrafted free agent, the experience that you had going through that process and then making a team right off the bat. So can you kind of give advice for other undrafted free agents on, you know, tips on how they can make it, how they can, you know, help with the transition and ways to get into the NFL? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, first, don't listen to the negativity. It's going to come. But, you know, you're doing something right when you have people doubting you. Um, and don't let the bad days get you down because it's going to be a lot of good days, too. It's tough. You know, they, being a rookie is tough overall. They make it tough on you for a reason. But, um, you know, focus up, get studying in, take special teams seriously, and, and just pay attention to the details. And I say at that at that time in life, I'm sure it's a lot of people already do, but just slow down and just all the focus is on ball. Nothing else matters, and, and, and you'll succeed. How do you stay so, focused so such a strong mental – how do you keep such a strong mental focus? Uh, me personally, like I said, I like to stay balanced. Um, I, I don't think it's ever been hard for me to focus when I have a goal on something. I just I just don't like to fail. I don't like to let my own self down. So I like to focus and, and know that I'm going into work, you know, with – you know, with no questions, I that pressure, that that type of anxiety to me is bad. So I feel like if I study up and I and I focus and I know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm better off that way. So you kind of mentioned you kind of poked your head around. You're looking around for the field to kind of hang out with someone, like before the game, after the game. Have you been able to jersey swap with anyone? Who have you jersey swapped with? And is there some? Is there a wide receiver in today's game or a player in today's game that you're like, you know what? I need to go do a jersey swap with this guy. Uh, just Keelan Cole so far. Um, <laughs> and for me, I think right now I want a jersey swap with Devontae Adams. You know, he's yeah. he's one of the best receivers in the league, and he he does it effortlessly. I mean, from his releases to his routes to to the swag he plays with. Um, I, I watch him a lot this offseason. I've taken a lot of notes. I love that you use Devontae Adams because you said Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson was kind of your guy. Devontae Smith – has the same kind of foot, not quite Chad Johnson level, because he could he could juke you out in a phone book, right? That's kind of his say, thing. Devontae Smith isn't quite there, but his like you said, his releases, his ability, his route running and stuff is top notch. 
are these kind of the guys you really look at? The Stefan Diggs, the Keenan Allens, the Devontae Adams, these crisp route runners? Are these the kind of the guys in today's game that you really love to watch? Uh, yeah, I mean, Devontae Adams, especially for me, because I'm obviously not as crisp as they are. So I, I really take notes from his game. And like I said, I watch his, I watch his games and, I, you know, I watch the highlights, you know, not just the highlights, but from, from the line of scrimmage, how easy he makes it look. Uh, compared to what I have to do to make it that easy. You know, it's, it's from years of doing the same thing, getting open, and, you know, he creates the Michael Jordan effect where everybody's afraid of every little move he makes to the line, and he, he continues the ball. So to watch that, I mean, like I said, from his releases to to him getting upfield, to his breakdown, to him attacking the ball, catching the ball, making the plays, and the swag, you know, he scores with is, is something I definitely take note with. And then I got I got to know this because one of my favorite sound bites of all time is Randy Moss on the sideline when Brett Favre is on the field. He goes, "That's Brett Favre. I got to go watch Brett Favre." He gets out there and he's watching Brett Favre. Is there a player in today's game on the defense or on the offensive side of the ball that you're like, "Okay, when he's on the field, maybe it's Devontae Adams. You have to watch him live. Like you have to get on the sideline. You have to watch him, even though he's going against your defense." Um, I think my rookie year it was Andrew Luck. I, I always thought he was a really good quarterback. Even even being a rookie in my offense, watching Deshaun, he's you know he's Houdini at times. But Andrew Luck, Deshaun, um, uh, even some defensive players like at the time Matthew. I, I honestly being in Houston and playing that year, we had a lot of superstars to where I just like to watch my own team play against some of these other teams, and it was some amazing players that that went down that year. And then we're just kind of come up to the end of the show here. Um, what are you doing in this off season right now? I know we're ramping up for the new season. There's not really an off season for you. Are you? You got like a, a special clothing line that you got going on? Like, uh, I know a lot of players have um, sponsorship deals, or they've got their own little companies on the side that do what they got. You got anything like that, or anything that you want to talk about as far as that goes? Uh, me personally, no. I don't have any uh, merchandise or anything that I'm selling. Uh, fo- uh, currently, like I said, focusing on my race cars, getting those done, and kind of, kind of expand into the racing world a little bit, and and have like a little bit of a racing team. Um, went to Texas 2K this past year, which is like the mecca of all racing in the U.S. It's like um, I, I, it's like the Super Bowl of racing. It's a is great that like, event. Is that, is that NASCAR? Or? Uh, it's actually a drag racing. So it's at a oh, okay. um, it's at a racetrack in Houston, uh, Royal or formerly known as Royal Purple. Uh, at Houston in Houston uh, or Bay Baytown, which where is actually at? And I mean, if you watch YouTube or you know anything about any YouTuber, anybody who has a fast car is basically out there. It's a big event, great networking, and you know you obviously compete for for medals and everything. But it's just a great way to get your brand out there, and I think I think that'll be fun. I work with a guy up here who does a phenomenal job. Attention to detail is top notch. He's um meticulous with his work, and I think helping him build his brand and getting out there would be awesome. I mean, people I meet around New York that talk about him, talk about him like he's, um, um, I don't know, he's like a, a a superhero, you know. Oh, yeah, I've been watching for 20 years. His his work is great. And, you know, he's very low-key. He does great work. And I'm like, man, you can you can really dominate in this section, you know, more people know about you. What kind of car do you have? Uh, right now I have uh, two Nissan GTRs. Um, uh, they're you know they have to be over a certain age to come over to America and and be legal, and they're they're definitely um they're they're cool cars because at the time they're appreciating so that's great for me and they're they're just fun to drive a dream car for me. 
Nice. So you like the work on the car versus the actual physical driving? Are you into the driving too? Oh, I love driving. Driving yeah. for me is something that's been like, even from my little power wheels as a little kid, I've, I've loved driving. I think that's where I developed that from. But uh, working on a car, you know, I, I like to know everything. So to figure out how to make it work, what's broken, if something happens, how to fix it. I think I, I like doing that. So I think to get that knowledge, it just kind of creates another avenue for me to, to do something fun. And that's more of a drag race thing that you're into rather than uh... – it's like a stock car kind of thing, right? You're more drag racing? Yeah, uh, at least for that, it's more drag racing. You know, you get on the track, you do um, circuit racing. But, you know, these are street cars that people make fast and are able to take on a track and, and win awards and go faster. So what, what takes more concentration, running a go route with the ball in the air or running a drag race straight up? That, that's tough. Um, I, I say um, – I would actually say drag racing maybe takes a little bit more concentration because it's not just your body you're controlling. You're controlling a, a mechanical vehicle where you have to, you know, just getting from a, a dig from a zero to, you know, maybe if you have 900, 1,000 horsepower, getting that power down on the, on the tarmac and you're waiting for the light to turn green, that reaction time, and just shifting you know, keeping the car straight, not trying to hit nobody else. That, that That's a lot of focus. That's a lot of adrenaline. Whereas I think running the goal route and, and focus tracking on the ball in the air for me is kind of serene. You know, everything gets quiet. You focused up, just watching the ball come into your hands, and then you know you, you make the play, and then it gets loud. That's fantastic. I know we've talked to some other people who do race cars and stuff like that. They talk about the mental part of racing a car more than anything. Uh, you got the like you mentioned the drag. Every little adjustment of the steering wheel makes a huge difference on how that car is going to run. And being able to maintain that, especially if, say, you're running 500 laps in a circuit or something like that, to maintain that focus over a period of time, right? It's incredible. Yeah, as, uh, it is. I mean, you know, from every small thing really matters out there from exact tire you use to how much camber you have on your wheels to, you know, tuning and, and small stuff, even like the temperature, you know, as it all matters. Well, that's fantastic. We we're kind of approaching that uh, hour mark here, Tara, do you got anything else you want to throw out there? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm just, uh, you know, again, Vincent, I want to thank you for coming on here. I was very excited to hear a home, home state, hometown person that we were going to have on. And we just, you know, really appreciate having you on there. Thank you. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little touch to have. I don't even know if this is a thing, but the South Carolinian, is that a thing? Am I allowed to say South Carolinian? South Carolinian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Close, close. You're close. <laughs> you know, I've, been, I've said worse things when trying to say the right thing. So I'll take that as a moral victory right there. But, no, Vince, it, it's a it's a pleasure to get you on. Uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the, the Potathon last year. Maybe we can sneak you on again this year if you got the time for that. We'll see how that goes. But, uh Again, yeah, thanks for uh, jumping in. Do you got anything you want to say one more time? Uh, I think that's it. I, I thank you for having me on. Um, I appreciate y'all taking the time to, to uh, get to know me a little bit and, and get my story out there, and, and maybe it'll touch someone and it'll motivate them, and I, I think that's the most important part. Nice. And I think that's, that's the key there. If anyone's looking at that undrafted free agent or feels like they've been overlooked at some point, don't give up. There's an opportunity out there, but you have to work for it. You've got to keep pushing for it, and you've got to make your own breaks. And nothing's going to ever be handed to you. I think you kind of proved that. Nothing was 
given to you. Nothing was handed to you on a silver platter. You didn't get the big scholarship. You came the D2 program. You came the undrafted free agent. Everything you've had to do, you've had to work for. And then once you got your foot in the door, we, we've seen what draft capital means in today's game. Draft capital seems to play a big part. So as an undrafted free agent, you got to work even that much harder, even though you're a three-year vet, four-year vet, five-year vet, whatever that might be. You make your own breaks, but you have to continue to do what you're doing, and you've done a very good job of that to this point in your career. Thank you. So, again, uh, much respect to you, and thank you for coming on the show. This was fantastic. I enjoyed it. So for Tara, for Major, for myself, uh, again – Vincent Smith, wide receiver, New York Jets. This is the Dynasty Vipers Viper cast, and we're gone. Happy birthday, man.